السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to another lesson of QP and we are alhamdulillah in our fifth week of this year, our fifth year of QP uh, and we are going to continue inshallah ta'ala today with the tafsir of Surah Al-Ghashiyah So last week the verses that we covered uh, were still considering like the first passage of or the opening passage of Surah Al-Ghashiyah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the uh, the punishment of the disbelievers of the people of the fire on Al-Qiyamah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a couple of weeks ago we discussed those verses at the beginning of uh, of Surah Al-Ghashiyah that speak about the, the the downcast faces, the humiliated faces of the disbelievers and the punishment that they will receive which is the fire of hell. In the verses that we discussed last week Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing the punishments. As we said a number of the scholars with tafsir they say that verses uh, 2 onwards of Surah Al-Ghashiyah up until the end of this passage that, that we, we ended up with last week where we stopped, they are sifat, they are essentially attributes of the people of the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions each one. So last week the attributes that Allah gave or the, or the, or he, that he mentioned or the, the issues concerning the punishment of the people of the fire that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described to us in Surah Al-Ghashiyah or describes in Surah Al-Ghashiyah that we covered last week uh, was concerning the food and the drink of the people of the fire. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the drink of the people of the fire that they will be made to drink from Ainin Aniya, from a boiling spring. And we said that the scholars of tafsir, especially amongst the Salaf, have a number of different statements with regards to the meaning of a boiling spring. But all of them essentially come down and back to this one issue, and that is that the fire of Hal or the water of this boiling spring is something which is extremely hot. It is at its highest intensity of heat. And so it's a spring that has been boiling. Some of those scholars of tafsir, they said that it's been boiling since the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth. So for hundreds and hundreds, if not for thousands of years, it has been boiling. And so it reaches an intensity of something which has been boiling for that period of time. And so it is something which, as Muqatil and others said, uh, that it's that when the people of the fire made to drink from it, it is something which will cause everything that they have to melt. Everything that they everything that, that, that touches that water, that, that water touches from their lips to their mouth to their teeth to the insides, their tongue, to then everything which, which is uh, within that, everything that, that, that it is made to touch, it will, everything that it, that it is made to touch will essentially become or will, will melt or will burn uh, by virtue of that water touching it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know from other verses in the Quran and from the general sunnah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace those things that are scarred and burnt and, 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 and uh, destroyed, Allah Azza wa replaces them so that that punishment can continue onwards and onwards. Then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the food of the people of the fire, Allah Azza wa described their food as being dhari'ah. 
and we mentioned dari' and what it refers to and how the Arabs have a drink or sorry the Arabs have a, a plant uh, and a tree that is something which is full of thorns and usually that that particular plant or that particular tree it is something which contains thorns so when it's the Arabs especially of the people of the Hijaz and the Hijaz is the area of Mecca and Medina and Jeddah and all of those areas those, that area is generally called the Hijaz the Hijaz the people of the Hijaz call a certain plant Shibriq but when it becomes dry and its thorns become bitter it becomes poisonous and that is what a number of the scholars of Tafsir considered uh, to or it is called by those people of the Hijaz as Dariya and so that is what a number of the scholars mentioned concerning the word Dariya. It is a poisonous, bitter, dry thorn that the people of the fire will be made to consume when they speak about their food. And we mentioned uh, last week the statement of uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shilqidi in his famous tafsir al-Bayan concerning the different verses of the Qur'an that seem to intimate or seem to suggest that there is only one type of food for the people of the fire but how those different verses speak about different types of food but they they seem to exclusively suggest that that is the only food that the people of the fire will receive so for example this verse they will only have dari as their food and in the other verse they will have no food except for الغسلين. and we said وَلَا طَعَامٌ إِلَّا مِنْ غِسْلِينَ Or other the verses, and that they will have no food except from al-ghislin. And we said that there were two positions or two uh, points that Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqita mentioned. The first of them being that the people of the fire have are, are of different levels. And therefore their punishments also vary. So for a group of them, their food is dariya. And for a group of them, it is ghislin. And so on and so forth. And the other position that he mentioned, Rahimahullah ta'ala, is that Allah negates from it being food, meaning that these types of things that they are made to consume are not food. Dari' is not a food, Ghislin is not food. These things are not things that people consume and eat from which they can take nourishment or strength or any type of benefit. And so Allah is essentially being uh, saying that they will be made to eat things, consume things that are not in essence their food. And so the verse therefore stays uh, upon its apparent meaning. Uh, and we mentioned, therefore, th- that some of the scholars of Tafsir were of the position uh, that the word dari' uh, refers to stones and rocks that they will be made to consume as opposed to that bitter dry thorn and that plant. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, either way, He describes it as being la yusminu wa la yughni min something which neither nourishes nor does it satisfy hunger, has no benefit, doesn't actually bring them anything. And we mentioned, I think, in some detail last week how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates from the people of the fire any type of connotation of comfort or rest or blessing, anything, even even the notion of that being ascribed and affirmed to the people of the fire is something which Allah Azza wa removes and distances from them. And that is because the people of the fire only have everything which is negative and they have nothing positive affirmed for them. And that is from the humiliation that they are placed upon, uh, that is going to be placed upon them in the next life. And that then juxtaposes, as we will come on to the verses this week, uh, juxtaposes the reward of the people of the of paradise. The These concepts, as we said last week, so whether it's blessing and reward, or whether it's punishment and humiliation and the fire and whatever else, when it comes to this life, these concepts are limited. Uh, and they're not complete or holistic for 
in, in the vast majority of cases. So for example, when we say that someone is being punished in this life, that person, despite their punishment or even whilst they are being punished, will have moments of respite, moments of rest, moments maybe when even they will have moments of happiness or moments of joy. Maybe someone lives a life that is for the vast majority difficult and hard, but at times they will still have joy and still have moments of happiness and still have moments of respite and so on because that is the nature of the dunya. Just as the one who has a lot of ni'mah or has a great blessing or is living a life of comfort will also experience moments of sadness and of despair and of hardship and difficulty and so on. And that is because that is the nature of the dunya. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to people in this life, it is limited. Limited even in the essence of that word and what it denotes. So someone, for example, who loses a loved one, that's a calamity that befalls them. It's a difficult time. It is something which is a hardship that befalls them. But that hardship is removed and it is relieved. And even during those initial days of hardship, when when, when that hardship is at its strongest and, and it is at its most, uh, if you like, it's, 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 uh, it's at its highest, even during those days there will be moments of happiness and moments of respite and moments of relief and moments of consolation and moments of tranquility and all of those things happen and likewise even a person who's been given a great deal of wealth for example despite that wealth that Allah has given to them will have moments of trepidation moments of uh, you know maybe uh, hardship moments of uh, difficulty and whatever it may be stress so all of those things happen in in within this dunya but in the next life on the day of judgment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he gives to people punishment it is punishment in its absolute sense, in the absolute sense of the word. And that is a punishment that contains no happiness or joy, contains no moment of relief or respite or rest. And likewise for the people of paradise, for the people who are given blessing and they are given joy and they are given happiness, then it is also complete and absolute in the sense that they will not have alongside their happiness, they will not have alongside uh, anything, uh, alongside the happiness, they will have any misery or any sadness or any type of difficulty or hardship and that is one of the major differences between the blessings and the punishments of this life and the blessings and the punishments of the next life so today inshallah ta'ala we're going to continue from verse number eight and in verse number eight allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says on that day there will also be faces radiant with bliss that is the translation of uh, of Professor Abdul Hanim. As Sahih International, other faces that day will show pleasure. Uh, Mufti Taqi, many faces that day will be full of glamour. And Muhsin Khan, other faces that day will be joyful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now goes on to the second group of people. And that is the group of people that are the people of Jannah, the inhabitants of paradise. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by describing them and many of the verses in this surah are opposites. So Allah gave descriptions of the people of the fire and he mentioned a number of things concerning the people of the fire. He mentioned how their faces will be on that day, meaning their physical appearance. He mentioned uh, you know, how, how their, their mental state will be. So when he spoke about the people of the fire, Allah mentioned that they are humiliated and downcast. He spoke about their mental state, that they are laboring and toiling and weary. Those are mental states that then exert themselves physically. And then Allah mentions where the abode will be, and He mentions the food that they will have, and He mentions the drink that they will be given. These are the types of descriptions that were given concerning the people of the fire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will now mention the opposite to those people. 
and that is the people of Jannah and he will describe them also in similar terms in terms of their physical appearance, in terms of their mental state on that day, in terms of their abode, in terms of what they will be given, in terms of the blessings of their abode from food and drink and other things. And as we will see, Allah will mention more for the people of Jannah than he does for the people of the fire. And that is because the rewards of the people of Jannah are greater in the sense that they are more varied, that they are given more in terms of the enjoyments and so on. And so it is uh, something which Allah will mention in more detail than the punishment of the people of the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there will be on that day also faces radiant with bliss. Radiant with with bliss. Uh, Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in his tafsir, meaning on the day of judgment, there will be faces that are blissful or joyous. And they are joyous because of what Allah will give to them of blessing, he says, and reward in Jannah. And those are the people of Iman with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and Imam Al-Qurtubi ta'ala, he said in the tafsir of this verse, They will be people who are extremely blessed. And these are the faces of the believers. They will be blessed and sorry, they will be joyous and radiant and happy and blissful because of what they will see from the reward that Allah has prepared for them in Jannah by virtue of the good deeds that they did and the iman that they had in this life. So we see, as we said, this is a surah that is in Arabic, we call it bayan. Right? In Arabic, one of the one of the sciences of the Arabic language is called ilmul bayan. Ilmul bayan is essentially, you know, a very loose translation is the science of description, of being descriptive. And so it is from the eloquence of the Arabic language, from the sciences of eloquence of the Arabic language, is ilmul bayan. And ilmul bayan, what it essentially does is that it gives you a mental image. It puts for you an image in place where you can, you can imagine that there are people who will look and behave like this on the Day of Judgment, and there will be people who look and behave like this on the Day of Judgment. And so you see almost, therefore, the two polar opposites in terms of the reward and punishment that Allah has prepared for these two groups of people. So for the people of the fire, Allah described them as being people who are whose faces are khashia, they're downcast, they're humiliated. They are people who can't even, uh, you know, can't even express the slightest amount of joy. They are people who are downcast because they know what they put forth in this life and therefore what Allah has prepared for them in terms of punishment on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Whereas here Allah says that these are faces that are joyous. These are faces that are happy. These are faces that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow to become radiant on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And we know therefore that the people of Iman, even during Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the terrors that people will pass through, they, for the believers, there will always be consolation. There will always be uh, there will always be tranquility. There will always be peace. There will always be that reassurance because they are the people of iman. And Allah says, "La alayhim wa yahzanun." They will have no fear, nor will they despair. And so Allah tells them that even on that day they will have no fear, nor will they have any despair. And so as the other people are going through these terrors of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the believers are given that reassurance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by way of the angels or by way of other blessings that they are given. And so the people of, the, of paradise, their faces are na'imah. Their, their faces are na'imah. And so they are joyous, they are radiant, they are happy, they are blissful because Allah Azza has given to them that reassurance. Just as they found in this dunya, just as they will find in their graves 
and just as they will find on the day of resurrection on Yom Al-Qiyamah, they will find a reassurance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so there are faces that are radiant. You have faces that are downcast, faces that are humble, and then you have faces that are radiant and joyful and blissful. And the difference between the two in terms of the ilmul bayan or that descriptive, uh, you know, descriptive nature of the Arabic language is that one is looking down, one can't raise his eyes, one has no confidence, whereas the other one holds his head up high and he's smiling and he's happy and he's blissful and he's looking around and he's and, and so on and so forth. And so those are the two differences that you find in terms of ilmul bayan with regards to these people. And so. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala he says that Allah Azza wa Jal he uh, he in this uh, in this particular verse Allah Azza wa Jal says wujuhun yawma idhin na'ima he says that their faces will be radiant and they will be blissful and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says didn't add a, a wow at the beginning he didn't say and their faces will be radiant or and there will be other faces that will be radiant but rather he simply says on that day there will be faces that are radiant and the sheikh says that one of the reasons for this is to show the difference to juxtapose the two to show that this is in plain opposition to those people so these people of Jannah are given uh, are given almost in contrast to the people of fire in terms of the description that they have been given and he says both of these, whether it was the people of the fire or the people of, of, of Jannah, both of them and their descriptions go back to the first verse in which Allah Azza asked the question, Hal Has there come to you the news of the overwhelming event? So therefore the Shaykh says, Ta'ala, that the overwhelming event refers to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And so therefore it is a generic name. Al-Ghashiyah is not just for the people of, it is not just for the people of, that the Ghashia is not just for the people of the fire, but rather it is something for the people of the fire and it is something for the people of paradise together. And so all of them, all of them are given, uh, all, uh, all of them are included within that name and within that term of being Al-Ghashia. The Shaykh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, Rahimullah Ta'ala, he then goes on to say that the word Ghashia therefore is an Arabic word which can encompass something which is good, encompass something which is bad. It can refer to that which is positive, refer to that which is negative. And what it essentially means in the Arabic language is that something has overcome, something has uh, encompassed, something has engulfed. And so therefore that can be something which is positive, something which is negative, something which is good, and something which is bad. He says an example of it being used in something which is positive is the hadith in Sahih Muslim, which the Prophet ﷺ said concerning those people, to come to the masjid together to study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to seek knowledge and to remember Allah azza wa jal. He says concerning those people, the Prophet said that when they do that, the angels come and surround them. The word ghashiyah, its verb is ghashiyah. And Allah's mercy, he said sallallahu alayhi wa Allah's mercy covers them. So the word ghashiyah, as we said, is something which overwhelms, it covers. And so therefore, the Rahmah of Allah Azza wa ghashiyatum. And obviously this is a, uh, you know, a positive uh, context that it's being mentioned. And so therefore, the author, uh, the, the Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqeet, ta'ala, he says that Allah Azza wa Jal, when he says, وُجُوهٌ يَوْمَ إِذِ it's going back still to verse number one, that yes, on that day, there will be people, people who will be downcast, people who will be punished, people who will be in the fire. But on that day, there is another group of people, and those people will be 
people whose faces will be radiant, people whose faces will be happy, people's, people whose faces will be blissful. In verse number 9, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and He says, لِسَعْيِهَا رَاضِيَةً While pleased with their labor. And in Sahih International, with their effort, they are satisfied. And Mufti Taqi, he says, while pleased with their endeavor. And Muhsin Khan says something similar, glad with their endeavor, and then in brackets, for their good deeds, which they did in this world, along with true faith of Islamic monotheism, meaning Tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again mentions this. So in verse number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the people of the fire. And the first description he gives concerning them is that they will have downcast faces. We know now for the people of paradise, Allah describes them as being radiant and as being joyous. In verse number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says concerning the people of the fire, These are people who are weary and toiling, people who are laboring, people who, uh, whether it's, you know, with regards to the actions that they did in this life, as we said, and therefore now the punishment that they will have to suffer in the next life, or whether it's the toiling that they will have in the fire, the constant pressure upon them and the constant labor uh, that they will be placed in in terms of their punishment and the toiling that they will have within the fire of hell, that is also a mental state. It's a mental state in the sense that it's just that thing that that person is constantly fatigued, constantly tired, constantly weary because of all of that pressure that's upon them. Just as even in the dunya you find someone who's maybe working like two or three jobs, then they have family, then they have children, then they have they have 101 things to to deal with and to and to and to and to manage. That person over time is going to look as if they need a break. They're going to look on the verge of collapse. Their physical appearance will match their mental stress or the pressure that is upon them uh, psychologically and mentally and the stress and, and the hardships that they have to bear. That is a natural, uh, you know, it's, it's a natural uh, thing that occurs when a person has all of those different things that they have to juggle and that pressure is upon them. And so that's a person who's constantly tired. They go to, you know, they wake up in the morning and they're tired. They go to sleep and they're tired. And that sleep that they have in the morning doesn't refresh them, doesn't rejuvenate them, doesn't revitalize them because they're back in that grind. And so they're essentially living that type of existence. And that is difficult even in the dunya sense. As we all know for people around us and maybe even from personal experience, it is a difficult thing to deal with day in and day out, day in and day out. For the people of the fire, this will be their eternal state. This is how they always are. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, that even in the dunya, a person whose state is very difficult, they will have moments of rest. They will still have moments of happiness. There will still be moments of joy and moments where they will forget about those pressures and so on. But in, in, in the fire, this is their permanent state. And they will have no rest or respite within that. Now Allah in verse number 9, He speaks about the people of paradise and how they will respond to what they will find on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, which is the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His blessings and paradise. He says, لِسَعْيِهَا رَاضِيَةً They were pleased with their labor. Uh, as Sufyan Thawli rahimahullah ta'ala said, قَالَ رَضِيَتْ عَمَلَهَا They said that they will, he said they will be pleased with the actions that they put forth. And Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said the meaning of this verse is that they will be happy with uh, they will be pleased with the rewards of their labor and they will be pleased in the hereafter as a result of that. And Imam Al-Qurtubi said that it is due to the labor 
that they put forth in this world, meaning that they work for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal and obeyed, obeyed Him subhanahu wa ta'ala, that now on Yawm Al-Qiyamah when they see the rewards of their labor, they will be pleased with it. It will be a good return for them. And so essentially, therefore what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us, and it is something which is a fact of life that uh, everyone knows and acknowledges, the, the essence of this dunya and the nature of living in this dunya is that it is hardship and struggle. This dunya is a life and an existence which, which necessitates from you and it forces you to work. You must work and you must labor and you must toil. You can't go throughout this world without putting in any effort. It is very rare those people that go through something and they don't have to put in any work or effort and they can live that existence for the whole of their lives. And even those people who may and they are the very minority who go through that and live that type of existence, they will have a number of issues and a number of problems. Maybe that's not so apparent to everyone else because they seem to be living a life of felicity and happiness and, and, and wealth and, and comfort, but actually mentally and, and behind closed doors and, and all of that stuff, they have enough issues. And you know, you only need to like look and, and see what, what takes place with the wealth, the wealthy and the rich and the famous in our time to know that often what you hear concerning their personal lives and what happens and what comes out uh, afterwards concerning the problems that they're dealing with and the hardships that they have, you, you find that actually their life maybe wasn't as easy as people assume and, and what it leads them to and what it, what it ends up with isn't something which is possibly, you know, it's not as easy as, as many people just assume simply because of the wealth or the fame or the power that they have. So the nature of this world and this dunya is that you have to work. The choice now is that you're going to toil and labor anyway. The choice is, do you labor now and work hard in a way that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or do you labor now and work hard in a way that is displeasing to Allah azza wa jal? Either way you will work. Either way you will toil. A person who goes and he disobeys Allah azza wa jal by doing the haram, by actively seeking out to do haram, by wanting to go and drink alcohol, by wanting to go and steal, by wanting to commit zina, by wanting to partake in riba. Those people are still toiling, they're still laboring, they're still working towards an end and towards whatever goals that they have. That's the choice that they make. And the one who uses their time and their life to worship Allah to pray, to fast, to give zakat, to seek knowledge, to do other good deeds, they're also laboring and they're also toiling and they're also working towards an end. So either way you are working. The question is which of the two will you choose and which of those two paths will you take? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us now from the, in this surah, the outcome of each one of those labors, each one of those working lives. The first one is a person who works in this life towards displeasing Allah Azza wa Jal. Maybe that path of displeasing Allah gives them more ease in this life. Makes their life, yes, it's still effort and time and whatever, but it makes their overall existence in this dunya one of desires, one of following their, uh, their desires and their whims and, and whatever it is that they want in the haram and so on. And so that makes the finite temporary existence in this dunya may be a more enjoyable and easier one in some respects in some regards and even that term that it's more respectful or more enjoyable and so on it's only for the people who don't understand the beauty of iman and they don't taste the sweetness of iman because if you don't taste the sweetness of iman that even to many muslims will look like it's a life that is actually more enjoyable but for the person who tastes the sweetness of iman they wouldn't give that up even if that was something which was presented to them but anyway, just for the sake, you know, just for uh, the purposes of this discussion and just to keep things simple, 
Maybe they have an easier life in some regards and in those aspects and whatever because they do the haram and they follow their whims and their desires and the, and the whisperings of shaitan. But in response or as a result of that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they live a life of difficulty, an eternity of hardship. For a few years of happiness, they will have the difficulty of the rest of eternity. Whereas for the believers, لِسَعْيِهَا radiya. Yes, the few years in this dunya are difficult and hard. They have to toil and they have to be patient and they have to work and they have to stay away from the whisperings of shaitan and they have to resist temptation. And they have to do so much in terms of just keeping their iman strong and keeping upon the path that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in return, what does Allah Azza say that they will have on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? They will be pleased. They will have eternal pleasure. They will live a life of eternal happiness in lieu of these 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever years that Allah Azza has decreed for them in this life. And that is a concept that we often forget and neglect. And it's a concept that we don't often uh, impress upon our youngsters and our children and our teenagers and so on. Because it is easy to become lost in the trappings of the dunya and the day-to-day uh, grind of this world and, and all of the difficulties and issues that come up and, and whatever. It is sometimes difficult to step back and to have the overview and to have that greater uh, perspective of what is more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so sometimes, yes, if you're worshipping Allah azza wa and you want to do good and you want to seek knowledge and you want to spread knowledge and whatever, your existence in this dunya is actually quite difficult. Maybe you don't get most of what other people have. Maybe you don't, whatever. But you do that because you know and you hope and you pray to Allah Azza wa Jal that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah you will be from amongst those people about whom Allah Azza wa Jal is speaking in verse number 9. They will be pleased with their labor. Now that, that doesn't mean that that's the only path towards that. There are many other paths and that, that doesn't mean that you have to choose a life of difficulty in order to reach that path. No, there are many, alhamdulillah, believers and others who uh, many believers and Muslims who Allah Azza wa has given the ability to have comfort in this life and at the same time work for the Akhirah. But that's not the door that is open for every person. It's not the path that is open to every person. And most people at one point or another have to make that conscious decision where they have to sacrifice certain things because they take them away from the path of Allah Azza wa even though it would make their existence in this life easier for them and it would make it more bearable for them. But they stay away from it because they hope that insha'Allah through that toiling and laboring in this life, Allah Azza wa will give them the rewards of the next life. There is a beautiful narration in the uh, Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari. Uh, it's a long hadith and it's the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum that he narrates from the Khalifa Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. And it's a long story. But essentially there came a point in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stayed away from his wives for, or some of his wives for uh, 29 days, for a month, an Islamic uh, lunar month, which obviously can either be 29 or 30 days. For a day, he stayed away from a number of his wives, including Aisha and Hafsa radiallahu anhumah. So he stayed away from them, and this is called ila' in the Arabic language or in Islamic fiqh, it is called ila' And it is not divorce, but it's when you have a period of separation. You cool off, and that's normally because there is a you know, something's happened in the marriage and there's some issue there that needs to be dealt with. And one of the ways that you deal with that is that you have a period of separation. It's called ila. And Allah Azza wa mentions this in the Quran. 
gives a limit of four months for this type of separation that is the maximum limit but anyway that's a verse in Surah Al-Baqarah inshallah ta'ala when we come to it we will discuss it in more detail but that particular incident is something which is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did this and it's a long story so we don't have time to go through the whole uh, background and the whole history and whatever but you will find it um, if you go to the, the book of Nikah or the, or the Kitab al-Nikah in, in Sahih Bukhari towards the end on one of the chapters and Imam al-Bukhari mentions the hadith of Ibn Abbas and it's the hadith of Ibn Abbas Ibn Abbas as we know is one of the younger companions and so he wanted to understand who it's who's referring who's being who it's referring to and these verses actually we may speak about it in more detail before we get to Surah Al-Baqarah inshallah in Surah Al-Tahreem the last surah of the 28th juz Allah Azza wa Jal mentions uh, mentions it also there and that is connected to this particular incident in Sahih Bukhari the narration that is mentioned but the point of this being is that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam stayed away from his family for a number of days Umar radiyallahu an as the father of one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ that is directly involved that the Prophet ﷺ is staying away from, this is something which grieved him, right? Something which saddened him. And the last thing that he wants is that Allah Azza commands the Prophet ﷺ to divorce his daughter Hafsa or that he separates from her permanently. He doesn't want that. No father would want that for their child in any marriage. But then what if the husband or the son-in-law is none other than the Prophet wasallam? So when Umar عنه, heard this, he came to the Prophet وسلم, and the Prophet وسلم, was in a, a room or a hut in which he was staying. Uh, and the Prophet وسلم, was staying away from people, didn't want to speak to people, didn't want to necessarily interact with a lot of people. But Umar seeks permission to enter upon him and he enters. And he comes and he knows that the Prophet وسلم, only did what he did because he's upset with his wives. And so he makes him smile. He says a number of things that make the Prophet ﷺ smile and he, you know, brings some uh, happiness and, and, and some uh, some some happiness to the Prophet ﷺ in this in this situation. The point that I'm that I'm going to, which is which is the point that is connected to us here, uh, with, with with the point that we're making here in Surah Al-Ghashiyah, is that Umar said that I looked at this room in which the Prophet ﷺ was staying. He was sleeping on a mattress made of straw. And he had very few scant possessions in this room. Meaning that this is all that the Prophet owns. He owns a straw mat. He says the straw mat, when the Prophet would lie down, its pattern would be embedded into the side of the Prophet so that when he would sit up, you would see that. And even today, if you have a reed mat or a straw mat and you lie down upon it, your skin touches it and you stay there for a while, you put pressure upon it. When you get up, the pattern of that straw mat is embedded in your skin. He saw the Prophet ﷺ like this and it brought tears to his eyes. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Oh Umar, what's wrong? So Umar said, Oh Messenger of Allah, why don't you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah makes things easy for you, that He gives you wealth, that He makes things comfortable for you. These are the Roman leaders, meaning the Byzantine Romans and the Persians that have been given the dunya. And you are the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this is how you are living. Now, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam hears this, and this is coming from a genuine place of concern from Umar radiallahu anhu. It's from a place of love and from a place of, of wanting good for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and feeding for his situation and so on. And we know that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam generally, his existence and his life wasn't one of 
of of extreme extravagance. It wasn't one of you know ultimate luxury and comforts and so on. The Prophet وسلم, had a difficult existence in terms of you know the monetary materialistic uh, possessions that a person may have. The Prophet وسلم, to Umar can respond in a number of ways. One of the things that he could say is, yes, I will make dua to Allah. And wouldn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give to the Prophet وسلم, when he answered the du'as that is going to that, that, that the Prophet would make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's one response. But what instead the Prophet وسلم, says and how he responds to Umar is he says, Oh Umar, is this what you're worried about? Is this what you're concerned with? These people Allah has given to them their blessings in this life. Their blessings are in this life, meaning therefore that the blessings, the true blessings of the of the believers are in the next life. In this life, you bear with it, you deal with it. Yes, it's difficult and it's hard, but you know, as we mentioned a number of times before in our you know, the tafsir of the surahs that we've done, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it comes to this life, Allah doesn't place any value upon things like wealth or materialistic possessions or fame or power or anything else and so therefore you receiving some of that or not receiving some of it it is nothing which matters in terms of your standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but what Allah looks at is your iman and your taqwa and your righteous deeds and the actions that you perform and the halal that you do and the haram that you stay away from that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at when it comes to the believers in this world and sometimes Allah Azza wa removes wealth or distances wealth from someone because there is evil in it for them. And that is a way of Allah Azza wa showing his lutf, his care and his gentleness and his love for that person because of the evil that, that, that Allah Azza wa knows in his infinite knowledge and wisdom that it would bring to that certain individual. So therefore the Prophet wasallam doesn't make dua, but rather he says, be content, O Umar. It is enough that these are the things that Allah has given to them in this life, they will have their blessings in this life. As for the believers, they will have the eternal blessings of the next life. And so therefore, the Prophet was patient in his life. And you have to be on the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people who are patient. And often, especially in the time that we live in now, which is a time of fitna, it's a time of strife and a time of trial. And you know, one trial finishes and the next one comes. And you know, one comes and, and a bigger one comes afterwards. And this is just the way things seem to be and the way that, you know, as we know generally anyway, that towards Yom Al-Qiyamah, this is the state of affairs that will generally take place. In times like this, when people's iman is weak or when they are distanced from Allah or they don't understand the principles of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and they don't read the Qur'an and understand and make tafsir of it and so on, then you will find that there are often people who are, uh, you know, who are constantly uh, agitated, constantly in flux in terms of their iman. They have major crises of faith because they consider these issues to be things like they consider it to be a God-given right that for the believers in this life, they should have wealth, that they should have ease, that they should have comfort. And so when calamity or difficulty strikes them, some of them, not everyone, but for some of them, or maybe even many of them, it can be a cause of their iman becoming weak or the iman, uh, you know, like essentially becoming unstable. Whereas the person who reads these ahadith and reads the tafsir of the Quran and studies what Allah Azza wa is saying will know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to struggle in this life. He wants us to strive and, and, and do what we need to do in order to attain Jannah. If you have an easier path, you take the easier path. Allah Azza doesn't want you to just make things difficult for yourself for the sake of making things difficult. But at the same time, you must understand that the path to Allah Azza 
is inherent with challenges and trials and difficulties. And so therefore to be prepared to overcome them, to deal with them, to face them, to be patient upon them, to overcome them, that is from the ways that the believer comes closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is from the ways that a person will be pleased with their labor in the next life because in this life they did that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah azza wa jalla again, you know, he kind of juxtaposes, we have the contrast between the people of the fire who in this life عاملتun, uh, had ease and happiness because they followed the haram. And so therefore in the next life they will have eternal weariness and fatigue. Whereas for the believers in this life, yes, they may have to struggle, they may have difficulties, and it is moments of difficulty. Because Allah Azza wa for the believers in this life, will always give them peace and contentment and solace and tranquility. Allah Azza wa always gives them ways of glad tidings and means of glad tidings that they will see within their lives. Because that is what Allah Azza wa promises. And that is why we said, you know, like this thing where um, we just think that the believers have, have like the, the bad lot in the dunya and, and the disbelievers have the good lot in the dunya, maybe only in a materialistic sense. But in terms of actually existing in this dunya with the pleasure of worshipping Allah Azza wa Jalla and the strength of Iman and the sweetness that it brings, actually that existence is of a better and greater enjoyment for the believer than even it is for the disbeliever in this particular dunya. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the believers, He gives them those reassurances, He gives them those glad tidings. And so the believer, even if they have difficulty and hardship, they will have moments of iman and moments when they come closer to Allah and moments when Allah will show them blessings and moments when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends upon them different types of mercy and rahmah and barakah and so on. And so they see within their existence and within their life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly giving them uh, good, good tid- glad tidings. And that is what Allah says in the Quran concerning the believers, lahumul bushra. They will have glad tidings in this life and they will have glad tidings in the next life as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to verse number 10 and he says, They will live in a lofty garden. They will abide in a lofty garden or an elevated garden. So just as the people of the fire Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described them after mentioning their physical appearance and their mental state. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then said, Tasla naran hamia. They will live in a blazing fire. That is their eternal existence. So their abode for the rest of eternity is in something which is a blazing, raging pyre of fire. That is where they will live for all of eternity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now then contrasts this. And he contrasts this with fi jannatin aliyah in elevated, lofty gardens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, aliyah means that it is elevated, or that it is lofty. Uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman ibn Nasr al-Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, that we famously know as tafsir al-Sa'di, he said that in Jannah, Allah azza wa will place for the believers every type of blessing every type of reward, every type of good. And Allah Azza wa describes the people of Jannah in being elevated places, in Aliyah. It is something which is elevated. And that is because the people of Jannah live in elevated places. Jannah is in a place of elevation. لَهَا غُرَفٌ وَمِنْ فَوْقِ الْغُرَفِ غُرَفٌ مَبْنِيَةٌ 
He said that they will have rooms and upon those rooms there will be rooms built upon those rooms, meaning over and above those rooms. As those people of Jannah enjoy everything which Allah has prepared for them in terms of blessing, in terms of na'im, in terms of, of reward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the people of Jannah living in lofty elevated gardens. And one of the things that you will see in the descriptions of the people of Jannah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions is that Allah mentions concerning the people of Jannah that they will have those things that their nature uh, and their desires generally are inclined towards. So one of the things that people like, uh, you know, especially if you can afford this kind of stuff or if you go on holiday or whatever, people like nice scenery. They like to have a view. Right? And so that's why, you know, even if you go to a hotel, these like expensive hotels, maybe if it's on a seafront or it's an oceanfront or whatever, if you get the room, uh, in fact, you don't even have to go on holiday to like those places. Just go to the Haram in Mecca. Right? If you have a hotel by the Haram, if you want a Haram facing room, right? if you want a Haram view in your room, you pay more than if you're happy to take a room that's facing the city or facing you know, just some building site or wherever else it may be or another building you will pay less. And that's the same everywhere. In the haram, if you're facing the haram and you want that room, they charge you more. If you're by an ocean and you want an ocean front view, you pay more. And if you're in the mountain and you want the mountain view, you pay more. That's how it essentially works. And that is because by nature, people like to have that view. They like to see everything before them. It is something which gives you console, it consoles you, something which gives you contentment, something which gives you happiness, something which brings a sense of relief to you and so on. And that is why even in, 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 in like high rises and skyscrapers and apartment buildings, usually the most, the most expensive apartments and so on are the ones that are higher up. So the higher the floor, the more expensive it is. And that's why the penthouse is the most expensive place in any type of these uh, apartment buildings or skyscrapers or whatever they may be and the penthouse is always the top floor it's never the bottom floor even though you may think that it's actually easy access living on the ground floor is easier to get in easier to get out you don't need an elevator you don't need stairs just but people pay more to be above number one there's no one above you so you don't have any disturbance in terms of someone you know making noise from above you but even beside that the fact is that you have a view that you can see over the city you can see over Whatever it is, wherever it is that you're living. And people like that. That is something which people desire. It is something which people like to see. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, many of the blessings of Jannah, you will find if you, if you uh, contemplate over them and you, and you reflect over them, that many of the things that people naturally desire, that they have a natural desire towards, it is something which, which Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran in terms of the rewards of the people of paradise. And as we mentioned last week, you know, the elevation and the loftiness of the gardens of Jannah are nothing like the loftiness and the elevation that you will find in this dunya. What we consider to be elevation, and some people may have trepidation being so high up, some people are scared of heights, some people are afraid of whatever the issues may be, all of those anxieties and fears and worries are removed from that blessing when it is placed within Jannah. But also from the descriptions here that we have of this verse, is that Jannah is a garden, a Jannah, in the Arabic language is a garden and the word garden to the mind brings a number of images to it and one of those images is that there is greenery one of those images is that there will be plants and that there will be shade and that there will be fruit and that there will be flowers and all of those things and rivers and so on all of those things and when you say garden we don't just mean a small garden as in the garden that you have maybe at the rear of your property or something we mean a massive expanse of land it is essentially like you know maybe in some countries you have a national park 
that has mountains and it has uh, rivers and it has flowers and it has fruit that is the garden the bustan that we're talking about because obviously jannah when you say garden we don't mean uh, the garden that you would normally have in this particular life or in this particular world so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there in, in 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 that word itself is again something which people covet something which people love and that is greenery people love to see greenery people love to see nature and they love to see those types of things that bring them uh, peace at heart and one of those things is a garden or the greenery or the uh, you know the, the beauty of that type of natural landscape that a person generally likes to look upon so look at the contrast again that Allah is giving to us on the one hand we have the people of the fire in blazing fire constantly in turmoil constantly in fear constantly in pain constantly in punishment everything they look towards is surrounded and, and covered in fire. Their whole existence, therefore, is one that is charred and one that is burnt and one that is the polar opposite of what you would describe as being a garden. If garden is lush and green and beautiful, then something which is destroyed by fire and consumed by fire is going to be charred and it is going to be desolate and it is going to be arid and there is going to be hardly anything that a person can enjoy in that particular setting. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this, uh, this ability to understand. And just as Jannah is lofty, it is elevated as we mentioned before, then likewise the people of the fire are descending. They are going downwards, they are going into descending levels as opposed to ascending levels. So one is lofty and elevated and the other one is downcast. And that is something which we've referred to before. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, so again, the, the contrast, tasla naran hamiya. The people of the fire will live in a burning rage of fire. Whereas the people of Jannah, fi jannatin aliyah, they will live in lofty gardens. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us the difference, the contrast in physical appearance, the contrast in the mental, uh, in the, the mentality and the mental side of things. And Allah azza wa has given us the contrast now in terms of the abode between those two people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says لا تسمعوا فيها لاغية لا تسمعوا فيها لاغية where they will hear rather no idle talk or they will hear no unsuitable speech as in Sahih International or Mufti Taqi absurd talk or Muhsin Khan they will hear neither harmful speech nor falsehood uh, this verse is, is in the Qira'at is re- recited in two in three different ways. So we have the normal recitation, which is the recitation of, of the majority, and that is that we say لا تسمعوا فيها لاغية. In the reading of Nafi' with his two narrators Qarun and Warsh, it is recited لا تسمعوا لا تسمعوا فيها لاغية. And in the recitation of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr al-Basri and Ruwais, it is with the ya, la yusma'u fiha laghiya. So these are the three qira'at that we have. La tasma'u, la tusma'u, and la yusma'u. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said in the tafsir of this verse, he said that the people of Jannah will never hear anything which is harmful, nor anything which is false. Mujahid rahimullah ta'ala, he said, laghiya refers to any curse word or anything which is evil. And Qatada rahimullah ta'ala said they will not hear within it anything which is false or anything which is uh, which is sinful. And Al-A'mash 
Rahimullah Ta'ala, he said they will not hear within it anything which is harmful. From the things, and this is one of those verses that is extra uh, to the contrast that is given to the people of the fire. So Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he speaks about the people of the fire, he says they will be in a raging burning fire. And Allah Azza wa Jalla doesn't mention anything about the sounds or what is contained therein of speech. But Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he comes to the people of paradise, he says that yes, they won't hear anything which is evil. And that is because, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, the people of the fire, from the punishment of the fire, is the screaming that they hear in the, in the people of the people of the fire. And the screams and the terrors of the people of the fire as they are being, being punished is something which is added to the punishment of the people of the other people in the fire. They are screaming themselves out of pain and punishment and they are hearing the screams of others. On top of that, they have within the fire its own sounds. The sound of the fire and its raging, uh, you know, the raging uh, or the rage of the fire and its heat and and all the sounds that a fire makes when it is at that type of intensity is also part of the punishment of the people of the fire. So that is inherent in that statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Tasla Naran Hamia, that they will be made to stay in a raging fire. Because the raging fire is not only in intensity and in heat, but also in sound and in what it will do to those people as they fall into the fire and the sounds that they will make therein. Whereas Allah Azza wa Jal says in for the people of, of Jannah and the people of paradise. They won't hear any idle speech. They won't hear anything which is harmful. They won't hear anything which is disturbing to them and to their blessing and to the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for them. And so the people of Jannah have bliss in every single way. Just as the people of the fire are assaulted by all of their senses in terms of their punishment. They feel punishment. They see punishment. They hear punishment. They taste punishment. Everything that is every sense, everything, they are overwhelmed by punishment in every single way. And so it is a sensory punishment, every single part and morsel of their body, their mind, their heart, their everything is punished. So likewise for the people of Jannah, everything has bliss and everything has peace and everything has contentment. And that is the statement as, as you can see when you bring together all of these statements of the scholars of tafsir of old, of, of the companions and the tabi'een and so on, you see them, they say there's nothing harmful in Jannah, no harmful sound, no swearing, no cursing, no backbiting, no lying, no cheating, no one, no one will do anything which is harmful to another. And just as everything that the people of Jannah will see will be good and blessed, then likewise what they will hear and what they will taste and what they will fear and what they will ex- feel and what they will experience, all of it is also blessed and it is something which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Imam Al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, La tasma'u fiha laghiya, he said, that these people in Jannah, meaning the people of Jannah, in their high and lofty elevated gardens, will not feel or will not hear anything which is laghiya. And he said, Al-laghiya is anything which is batil, anything which is false, anything which is harmful. And so therefore, it is, and he said it comes from the original, the original word of laghu. And Allah Azza wa mentions this in a number of Verses in the Quran from the descriptions of Jannah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, "La laghwa fiha wa la ta'thim," that there will be no evil speech, nor will there be any sin in Jannah. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, and I think that is a good place to stop, inshallah Taala. And next week we will continue with the remaining descriptions that Allah Azza wa Jal gives to Jannah and the people of Jannah, bismillah Taala. So, if there's any questions, inshallah, we'll take a couple of questions and then we can conclude.
um, what is the difference between nar and hariq? So uh, these are different names. So uh, as we know, the Arabs have, uh, when they would consider something to be important in the Arabic language, they give it multiple names. And those names are usually different descriptions of the same thing. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when Islam came, it uh, confirmed or it reaffirmed this style of the Arabs th- that they used to have. And so things that are important or things that require attention or are of importance in the religion have multiple names also. So whether that's the Quran or the Prophet Wasallam or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his names and his attributes or Jannah and fire and so on, all of these things you will find have multiple names. And so the fire has multiple names, Yawm Al-Qiyamah has multiple names and so on. And so the difference between them is in that sense. Now there will be a difference also therefore in terms of uh, in terms of the Arabic word, the linguistic word, and the added meanings that it brings. So the word hariq, for example, means to burn and to char. And nar is a fire. And so therefore, the hariq is a description of the fire. It is from the attributes of the fire. One of the things that the fire does is that it burns and it chars everything that it touches. And so therefore, you have an additional uh, you know, you have like an additional meaning or a different additional attribute or characteristic of what is being described in those names and the same applies in everything so the quran the prophet وسلم, you know all of these are they're given multiple names and they, and each one of them is an added description or added attribute of that what is the difference in meaning of the different recitations of Quran? so that's a good question i forgot to mention that point the difference between la tasma'u and la tusma'u or yusma'u is la tasma' is to hear directly la tusma' is something which you hear that you can't associate where it's coming from so when you say la tasma' don't listen to you're saying don't listen to so-and-so. You're pinpointing where that sound is coming from. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to her. But when you're saying la yusma' or la tusma', one is one is referring to uh, la yusma' or la tusma' is referring to a sound that is coming, but its source is unknown. Right? We call it, in Arabic language, it is called um, it is called mabni al majhul or uh, which is probably a better way of describing it in the Arabic grammar. We don't know where it comes from. In the Arabic language, even in English as well, it was heard. Right? When you say it was heard, heard by who? You don't know. You just say it was heard as opposed to I heard. Right? And Arabic, the Arabic language has the same thing. And so that is the difference in this particular verse. There will be sounds that you can hear. And, and, and remember, when we, when we have different qira'at, it is essentially an added verse in the sense in tafsir, both of those meanings are correct. You won't hear anything which is harmful in Jannah from a sound that is in front of you, meaning someone when they talk to you won't say anything harmful. Nor will you overhear anything harmful from others either. Meaning Jannah is not a place, like for example, you know, here maybe in this world, you know, your family are people, mashallah, of good adab and akhlaq and good character, but your neighbors are people who are foul in terms of the way they speak and they curse and they so you don't have a problem in your own house but you constantly overhear their evil speech and their vain speech over you know the fence or from their house or whatever in jannah you don't have either so allah negates both he negates direct evil speech and lagu and batil and he also negates it indirectly as well meaning nowhere in jannah will you find this being done and allah knows best so inshallah ta'ala we will conclude that barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh